Last week I asked you uh, what do you think is the perfect age. Uh, We saw that the average or at least the sort of agreed upon age is around about 50, so sorry if um, you've passed that age yet. Um, But maybe you can remember it fondly. Uh, (laughs) That's a bonus. Uh, This morning I want to ask you what do you think would be the perfect job? Not so much the perfect age, but the perfect job. I don't know if you remember, but I think it was about 10 years ago, uh, the Queensland, uh, Queensland Tourism ran a promotion, Best Job in the World. Uh, and they invited uh, people from all over the world to apply for this job. And they were inundated with applications, tens of thousands of them. I don't know whose job it was to go through all the applications. I suspect that wasn't the perfect job uh, in the world. Uh, and eventually a guy from England, I think, uh, won the job. Do you remember what the job was? It, it was caretaker of the islands of the Barrier Reef. That's right, of the Great Barrier Reef. Now, I suspect that the thing that made that job so appealing was it sounded like a holiday. Don't you think? <laughs> it didn't sound like a job at all. Uh, and I wonder if for a lot of us, if we had the ideal job, that's exactly what it would be, a job that wasn't really a job at all. Uh, but a job that felt a lot more like a holiday. Sometimes I think if I could just have a job where I worked about half as many hours for about twice the pay and about 10% of the responsibility, that would be just about perfect. And I suspect that many of us uh, can uh, you know, probably resonate with that idea. When it comes to thinking about work uh, and the jobs we do, the responsibilities that we have... Uh, It's really easy to have our minds and our hearts shaped by the world, isn't it? I mean, it's in the world that we do our work. Uh, It's inevitable that we're going to be impacted in our thoughts about work and our experience of work uh, by the world as well. But if, like me, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you actually want his lordship to be the thing that governs your attitudes towards your work and responsibilities more than the world does. In fact, you want to be reshaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't you? You want to know why the gospel is good news for your work, for your responsibilities, for the jobs that God has given you to do, for the circumstances that you find yourself in, rather than just adopting the attitudes of the world. And they're all around us, aren't they? You know, you say goodbye to someone and you say, don't work too hard. You know, that's a, it's an attitude towards work, isn't it? Uh, and, and the person that you say that to says, oh, well, no rest for the wicked. Uh, <laughs> as if work is inevitably uh, cursed, you know, and in a sense it is. Uh, how about we open our Bibles and see what God's Word does have uh, to say about work? And, and if you would, uh, go back to Genesis with me, uh, where we started our time this morning. Uh, I think it's, really, it's a really important context. Uh, if we don't understand this, this, then we will have the wrong expectations uh, about work. Uh, the first thing that we need to understand is that God made us to work. He made us as workers. Uh, He gave us good work to do. Uh, So we read in 
uh, chapter 1, verse 26, God said, this is at the, uh, you know, on the final day of creation, the sixth day of creation, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, something that he hadn't said about anything or anything else that he'd made previously, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Did you get the so that? Made in God's image so that we might rule, so that we we might govern, so that we might work to uh, do his work under him in the world that he has made. So, So we were actually made in his image and part of that was to rule, to work, under him uh, and to look after the world that he has made. And we see, uh, and I think it's important to see, the, um, uh, the use of care uh, in regard to how we look after the creation as well. Uh, so that's over in chapter 2, verse 15, which we read earlier. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So our ruling over the world isn't an abuse of the world. It's a care for the world. Uh, in fact, earlier we read uh, in verse 28, God blessed, sorry, chapter 1, 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So part of the work is to take the good rule of the garden, the garden is the ordered place, and to take God's good order out into the world, to fill the world just as he has done, filled all the spaces previously in creation, where to fill the world with his good order. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that was given to mankind uh, to bring the world under the authority of God. All creatures, all of creation uh, in a harmonious environment working together uh, for God's glory. That's how God made the world to be. And before we keep going, let me remind you that that is one day how the world will be. And that's really good to remember. That God's plan A is not something that he gives up on. God's plan A is something that he pursues to the very end, no matter what it costs him. So be encouraged by that. Uh, And the reason you need that encouragement is because we understand, uh, we know, even from our own experience, that the world isn't now, isn't today, as it was meant to be. The world isn't that beautifully ordered, well-governed, well-loved and cared-for place, uh, enjoying perfect relationships that God intended. And the reason for that is, of course, in the following chapter. The reason, of course, is because uh, God's image-bearers have turned against their maker. That in uh, reaching out for uh, our own kind of sovereignty, in trying to, uh, in disobeying God and trying to uh, grasp at his rule and authority, uh, we have fallen. And everything has become broken and marred as a result. And that includes our work. And so we we read earlier how that unfolded. Uh, Eve, uh, under the temptation of the snake, Uh, saw that uh, what God had said not to do uh, was tempting to do and did in fact do it, took and ate from the tree and shared it with her husband who foolishly uh, and um, sinfully ate as well. Uh, And there were consequences. God didn't just say, oh dear, um, that wasn't meant to happen. Let's pretend it didn't. Uh, He couldn't. 
because once that rebellion had entered the world, uh, it had consequences and effects on the world. And we read in chapter 3 uh, all those consequences. And right at the heart of those consequences for the woman and the man are uh, an impact on their work, on their realms of work. Uh, it's no coincidence that for Eve it is, in t- it is in the realm of childbearing, which was her, her realm, uh, not his, but her realm, uh, that she is frustrated, that she finds her work um, made difficult. Uh, we read there, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. And her relationship with her husband is damaged as well. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I don't think that's meant to be a positive uh, description of their relationship. Uh, so her realm of work, and by the way, I'm not saying there that, that, that bearing children is the only work for women, but it is the particular work of women. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Adam in his work. Remember, he was, to care t- he was put in the garden to work it and care for it. That was his job, uh, for which she was made to help him as well. But now, uh, cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil. Doesn't sound how it was meant to be, does it? Painful toil, you will eat food. So it's, it's, there's a necessity. You won't just be able to go up to the tree and pick the fruit that God has produced anymore. Painful toil will be the means by which you will survive in this world all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow, until you return to the ground. Do you see how things have fallen? Do you see how things have been damaged and broken because of our rebellion, because of our sin? And as a result, this is the world we live in. But we need to keep in mind that work is now both created and good and cursed and difficult. It is both those things. Neither just one or the other. And the reason we have to remember that it's both is because if we we forget one or the other, then we will have a distorted view of work. Uh, For example, because work is part of God's good design and creation, and that still remains true, it's wrong to think of work as some kind of hell. You know, something that we just want to escape from, a necessary evil just living for the weekend. We oughtn't to think of work in that way. And so it's wrong to be a bludger. Now, we kind of know that. We don't have a high tolerance, I think, generally in Australia for those who uh, choose to be lazy or slothful or not work. Uh, And the Bible doesn't have much tolerance for that, that person either. I don't know if you've read Proverbs much, but there's a famous sort of character in Proverbs, the sluggard. It's a great name, isn't it? What an insult. The, the sluggard, the person who's like a slug, sort of useless and slimy and slow. Uh, and uh, listen, listen to how Proverbs uh, describes the sluggard. Uh, this is chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I love that. I love that. You need a better example. Go and look at an ant. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. 
Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Uh, At one point in Proverbs, the sluggard is described as someone who puts his hand into his food and is too lazy to bring it out. (laughs) Won't even feed himself. Now, obviously, that's an extreme example. uh, And yet, uh, you know, some people are just downright lazy and think of work as just something that they're going to spend their life avoiding. Uh, But work is good. If we remember that work is good, then we won't be like that. But on the other hand, because work has been cursed, it's also wrong to think of work as some kind of heaven. Now, you might think, not likely, (laughs) not much chance of that. And yet, I think there there are ways in which we might think of work as being some kind of heaven. Firstly, we might think of it as a place to escape to. Uh, I've heard people who... (laughs) who say, oh, at least it's a break from the kids, for example. Um, and you know, while that might be true, uh, we don't want it to think of it as something that we escape to, but rather something that is good in its own right. Uh, others might think of it as a kind of heaven in the sense of because it gives me a feeling of success, of significance, of satisfaction, and uh, seeks that satisfaction in their work, and perhaps too much satisfaction in the sense of wanting from work what really we're only designed to get from our relationship with God and from our relationships with others. Uh, You know, almost being defined by our work. Why do you think, for example, we here in Australia, on average, work longer hours than we ever have before? That's really weird. When you think about how wealthy we are, We actually don't have to work those hours in order to survive, in order to live. Why? Why are we working longer hours than ever before? There might be many reasons, but I think that part of it at least would be because we've believed a lie, and the lie is you are what you do. You are what you do. What do you do? It's one of the first questions that people ask you when they meet you. What do you do? because that defines them, or defines you in their eyes, and perhaps defines you in your own eyes. This is who I am. I am what I do. And as such, we worship the idol of success in that realm. Or perhaps we believe the lie that we are what we have, and work enables us to have all the things that we want, and so we work hard, and we worship the idol. We work too hard, or for too long, and we worship the idol of stuff. See, if we think of work in a sense too highly, then we will also have a distorted view of work. The thing I want you to see this morning is that both these distortions are distorted in the same way. That is, they put ourselves at the centre. We're thinking of our work in regard to ourselves and either the hardship that it puts us under if we focus too much on it being cursed, or what it might achieve for us if we think of it as some kind of heaven. 
But as we've seen time and time again through this series, the gospel is always good news because it sets us free from false views of ourselves and our circumstances and what life is all about. The gospel sets us free from a life ruled by fear and self-centeredness to a life of, uh, ruled by love and concern for others. And that should be played out in our work as well. That we should be thinking, how can I work in a way that expresses love for others and for God? And there are many ways that work can do that, that work enables that. See, the right attitude towards work is gratitude to God for the gift of work and love for others. Uh, Let me list off some of the many benefits uh, of work. And these are actually benefits that are true for anybody, regardless of whether they know God or not, regardless of whether they're a Christian or not. Uh, Work is a way to love and serve others by providing, isn't it? By providing for our families and also by providing for those uh, in our communities who are in need. Work enables that because uh, we say time is money, and that's right. We trade our time for money, and with that money, we're able to do good things. We're able uh, to serve our families and those who are dependent on us, and we're able to serve those in our community, contribute to the needs of the poor, etc. Another good benefit of work is that we discover we uh, are not... We we make ourselves... uh, in a good way, not dependent on others. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 12, we read, um, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Uh, In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says we have a rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. In other words, if if you want to have the benefits of being part of our community, make sure you're a contributor as well. It's important to say that he's only speaking about people who are able to work there uh, and not demanding that those who aren't able work. Um, But I think uh, we understand the benefit of this. We don't want to be a a burden on others and work enables that. Work helps us to play our part in the community. Of course, another benefit is from the actual work that we do. The work that we produce benefits other people doesn't it? In fact, uh, it's through our work uh, in lots of ways that we become a society, that we become interdependent on one another. I think most of the time we just take this for granted and we lose sight of it. Uh, let, me, let me read to you uh, from this uh, good little workbook, Good Work, A Labour of Love, uh, a great example of this interconnectedness and inter- interdependence uh, as a result of work. The, the uh, author is just talking about uh, an average uh, morning where he went down the street uh, to buy a few things uh, for the day. Uh, I think he had to go to uh, the supermarket to get some bread, the grocer to get some fruit, and picked up a takeaway coffee uh, for he and his wife on the way home. Three shops, 15 minutes. 
But then he got home and he started thinking about it. He said, there's nothing remarkable about this morning, and yet I couldn't have done it without the work of thousands of people, perhaps tens of thousands. Sounds like an exaggeration, doesn't it, just from a visit to the supermarket, the grocer and, and the coffee shop? Um, I wake up in a bed I did not manufacture, in sheets I did not make. I did not produce the raw materials. I did not process them. I do not own the shop where they were bought. And in the case of the bed, at least, I needed help to get it into the house. As I go to the shower, I'm walking on floorboards I neither laid nor polished. I didn't grow the wood from which they were crafted. I didn't cut the tree or fashion the timber, nor did I transport them or sell them. And these floorboards are in a house I didn't build, owned by someone else, and rented to me through an agent. While in the shower, I benefit from water piped from somewhere, heated by electricity generated somewhere, most likely fired by coal, which alone includes the work of thousands of people. And as I drink my coffee, I try to imagine how many people's labour it involves. Someone grew it, someone harvested it, someone transported it, someone imported it, someone roasted it, someone distributed it, someone set up a cafe in a building owned by someone, rented through someone, and then a barista made it for me using piped water and an electric machine, which itself was also made, transported, imported, distributed, sold and repaired. Moreover, the barista has been trained. He is using techniques developed by others, and so the morning continues. Simple acts utilising the work of thousands of people. You just don't see it, though, do you? And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that God's actually made us all to be able to contribute in all sorts of little ways so that together we can enjoy life in the world that God has made. Uh, And finally, uh, and also good work gives us opportunities to explore and express and improve our God-given abilities and to be grateful for them. See, there is satisfaction in work. We don't want it to be our ultimate satisfaction, but it is satisfying, isn't it? To do a job and to do it well. And that is a gift from God. And also, uh, we read in 1 Timothy 6.18 that when we work, we have something to share, something to share with others, and there is joy that comes from that as well. And all those uh, joys can be experienced by someone who doesn't even know God. Now, added to that... You and I, if we do know God, get to enjoy extra benefits, extra benefits of doing our work by faith. Even the most menial of tasks is a way to love and to serve Jesus. It's not an exaggeration when Paul encourages the Colossians to do whatever they do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Even the smallest thing. Uh, the, the, ancient, the old reformer, Martin Luther, was famous for talking about the fact that changing a baby's nappy, if done in faith, was just as valuable and glorious a work as declaring the gospel, if also done in faith. Because what the two have in common is the faith by which they are done. It's a wonderful thing that even small things can be done for Jesus, that we can know that those are part of the good and faithful work that God has prepared in advance for us when we do them in faith. Of course, as we've seen uh, already in Genesis 1, uh, when we work, it's a way to live out our role of bearing God's image in the world. 
uh, and a way to enjoy good relationships with others. And we think about the fact that Adam was made to work, but he was doing his work and he didn't have a suitable helper. So God made Eve and she was his suitable helper in the work that he was given to do. And the teamwork was better than working alone. That's another good gift that comes from work, being able to work with others uh, alongside them in a team environment. Think of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the idea of the cord of three strands. Uh, The the man who walks on his own is not safe, but the one who walks with a friend uh, is. Uh, in, in addition to these things, we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12, that by our work for the Lord, uh, we are able to win the respect of outsiders. Simply by, I think, the attitude that we take towards it, the gratitude uh, that we express for it, uh, the diligence that we put into it, the quality of our work, we're able to adorn the gospel. We're able to work in a way uh, that helps people to think, why do you work that way? It's as, it's as if you're working for somebody else, because I'm working for that jerk over there. Who are you working for? <laughs> We're working for the Lord. Uh, and also, we get to contribute to gospel work. That is, uh, we get, again, we uh, earn money for the work that we do, and we're able to contribute to gospel work uh, as well in that. Uh, and finally, we get to Uh, work alongside those who don't know Jesus, most of us. We get to live alongside those who don't know Jesus. We get to volunteer alongside those who don't know Jesus. And we get to build relationships with those who don't know Jesus. And as we work hard unto the Lord and as we pray that God would give us opportunities to talk to our colleagues about Jesus, he puts us in the circumstances and the situation to be able to do that. See, all these things come from work when we work by faith to the Lord Jesus. Now, finally, I just want to make what I think is a really important distinction, Uh, not so that you think you have to choose between these two things, but so that you understand that they are different and that you will pursue both, okay? The distinction is between working for the Lord and doing the Lord's work. Working for the Lord could be anything could look like anything. The actual work could be anything, and you can do it for the Lord. That's what Paul is talking about there in Colossians. Whatever you do, he's just been talking to the, the slaves, working for their masters, and he's saying, whatever it is you're doing, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. That's working for the Lord. There's another kind of work, though, that is the Lord's work. The work of Jesus Christ. That is gospel work. That is the kind of work that we heard about last week, the work that lasts into eternity. That is the work of addressing the curse, of undoing the curse through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is work that we should all long to do. That is work that, in a sense, I have been set apart from, I've been freed up for. I don't have to do the other work that many of you have had to do in your lives and still do. But you've freed me up so that I can encourage you and equip you also to do the Lord's work alongside and even as you work for the Lord. 
That is, you're looking for those opportunities to share the gospel. If someone's a believer working alongside you or a client or whatever, you want to encourage them in Christ. And if someone doesn't know Jesus, you want to introduce him to them. See, as we go about work in this life, I think we need to remember that Jesus was a worker, wasn't he? Uh, a tecton, that was his, that's the word in, in Greek in the Bible. It's often translated as carpenter. Uh, probably more accurately, it could be translated as builder or craftsman. And it's more likely that Jesus worked with stone than wood, uh, simply because that's what was available. Uh, there wasn't actually a lot of timber around in Israel at the time. Uh, in fact, just a couple of k's down the road from where Jesus lived in Nazareth was a really big quarry. And a couple of k's the other side of that was a city forming by the name of Sepphoris that was being built at the time that Jesus lived in Nazareth. It's quite likely that Jesus' every day up until the age of 30 involved going with his dad to the quarry and then on to Sepphoris to lay stones and build houses for people. It's the life of Jesus. He was a worker. I think it's interesting, if, if that's right, if it's true that Jesus probably worked with stones a lot of the time, think back through some of the things that Jesus said about stones, the way that he talked about stones. You know, tear down this building, the temple. Look at all these magnificent stones, the disciples said. Tear it down and I'll build it up again in three days. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. Remember Jesus named Peter, my little stone, my rock. But at 30, Jesus left that work behind to do a new kind of building work. A new kind of work. As I said, he spoke about the demolition of the old temple and the creation of a new one in its place. And Peter the rock later spoke of Jesus as the living stone and the church as a spiritual house made up of living stones as Jesus forms us into his building, into his household, into his people. See, even Jesus did both kinds of work. And I think we should pursue both kinds of work as well. For some of us, the minority, uh, it'll look like Jesus and the 12 disciples who were called away from their work to do the Lord's work. But for most of us, it'll be a case of doing both. And for all of us, we are still called to work at our jobs with all our heart, knowing that we are working for the Lord and to do the Lord's work to whatever extent time and opportunity allows us. And let's pray that we would. Our Heavenly Father, when we think about our lives and the work you've given us to do, we confess that we haven't always approached it, maybe even rarely approached it with the right attitude, where we've grumbled and complained rather than being grateful for it, and we're sorry for that. Uh, Father, we also want to say that part of that is because we feel the brokenness of work, we feel its toil and we wish it weren't that way we long for something better 
We long for a world where work isn't hard and where it is enjoyable and where it is satisfying, where it is always good in every way. Father, we thank you that uh, you have promised that you are at work yourself in order to bring that world about. And we thank you for the chief worker, the chief labourer in that work, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he didn't shirk his work, but rather he fulfilled it perfectly, knowing that he was working for you and in service of us, that his work was done in love. And so, Father, we ask that you'll help us to be people who approach our work with that same attitude and goal, that we would be people who see uh, work as a gift from you, to be done for you and that we would also uh, look to be working in your harvest field, to be uh, labourers doing your work, Uh, that we would look for every opportunity just to use the gifts and the words and everything that we have to grow your kingdom, a kingdom that will last into eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.